Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles' Lord is over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink oops, at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. My brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a number of ways in which I would probably find it easy to be part of the Salvation Army. Uh, I say a number of ways because I have a high respect for them. But um, one particular thing about the Salvation Army that has in some sense impressed me, and that's my bad, is that you don't, they do not have sacraments. They do not have the Lord's Supper. And they do not have baptism. The Salvation Army was uh, initiated by William and Mary Booth. And it was a street ministry. 
And therefore, as a result of that, they didn't use the sacraments. They thought, actually, the sacraments were a kind of a ritual of the past and were really not necessary so much today. But also in the street ministry, they found it a bit of a nuisance to have to go through those sort of things because it was kind of a street ministry and it would be confusing and difficult. Uh, again, my bad is that I struggle to often uh, relate to the sacraments and how they work and how they mean and so on. And uh, I guess I'm not entirely off in terms of, because the elders in Geneva, the elders of Calvin's church somewhat found it the same way. They found it actually a kind of, uh, in the way, uh, strongly said, a kind of a nuisance. John Calvin himself said he felt that the sacraments ought to be every Sunday, at least the Lord's Supper, and that it, you needed to have the sacrament to back up the word, and it should be done every Sunday. The elders of Geneva said, uh, you know, I don't think so. They said, uh, I think four times a year is enough. And uh, they kind of considered it a little bit of a nuisance that way, too. And uh, so Calvin didn't get his way, uh, which just for the record shows that ministers do not always get their way. You're supposed to laugh. But, it's, uh, but okay, this is, uh, but before you depose me for this kind of uh, heresy, uh, hear me out. We looked this morning at the sacraments and the meaning of the sacraments and the importance of them. And of course, the sacraments, why bother? First of all, because it's commanded. The sacraments are commanded in God's word. Anna Marie just read from the scriptures there, and Jesus instructed us to do this in remembrance of me. And also they are commanded in terms of baptism, go into all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's commanded. I thought that was in the Lord's day, and maybe I didn't hear that because I've worked on this before, and the word commanded is used there, as far as my understanding is concerned, or certainly used in the Belgic Confession. And I've always found that a kind of uh, rough, that something as we consider intimate as the Lord's Supper and, and baptism, that it's commanded. But it's necessary to be commanded for people like Dirk and people like him to realize that they are things that are commanded by God and that should be enough commanded by Jesus himself in the red letters of the Bible Jesus commands that's important sometimes sometimes we're too utilitarian we could say and I'm very much that way. It all has to be reasonable and it all has to make sense and it all has to fit into place. And if it doesn't, then you kind of question it. This is something where God tells us and Jesus tells us, you are commanded to do that. And we do not know everything and we have to give ourselves over to God's commands. When I was a person in my teens and I was going to college and to seminary, then during the summer months, I would work in construction. 
for uh, two people, two bosses really, but it worked out quite well. They were partners in construction, Bob Spann and Willie Huizen. And uh, I can remember one day where we were working on an addition to a house, and it was a two-floor addition. So where the, the addition butted into the house on the upper level, where that door had a kind of a hoop in it, and you had to finish it off and make it look nice. So Bob said to me, Dirk, here it is. This is, I want you to do it. That, like, I have to go away. I can't be here. But you've been with me quite a while now. So I think, you know, like, you do it this way, and you do it that way, and you fix it that way, and you do it, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bob goes away. So I do the first cut, and I got on a second cut. Oh, that's bit of a mistake there. Well, maybe I can fix that. I can do it this way. And by the end, it was a mess. And he came back, and I was tremendously embarrassed. And he said, Dirk, what happened? I said, I thought. He said, oh, you thought that was your first mistake. He said, I have been doing this job all my life. I know how it's done. So you should do it this way. Huh. So it is, too, with the God that we need to trust, that we do not always have the intelligence to figure it all out and how it fits and how it's all reasonable. God commanded, and that should be enough. And God's commandments are good. That's what the psalmist says in a number of places, Psalm 119. It's like God's laws are like honey from the comb. And then if you go to Psalm 119, it's an acrostic. Every letter of the Hebrew alphabet used in there to give some kind of praise to God and his law. So it's for good reasons. So we do it because God commanded it. Second of all, because it's an honor to God. We do the, we do the sacrament for it's God's honor. And this moves me. The other one does too. But this really moves me that when we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's kind of an honor kind of meal. When people sometimes retire or people have done something significant, then sometimes they have a meal in their honor. That's been throughout the centuries that people have these kinds of meals of celebration in the honor of the person. And I find that meaningful in terms of it helps me a bit in dealing with understanding the sacrament and how it works. That when we sit at the table or we are at the table and we share communion, we are doing it to God's honor and to his praise. And he deserves the honor. I get it. That's a good thing. He deserves the honor. You look at his honor and his faithfulness towards us. One of the hymns we also already sang about the whole matter of the faithfulness of God. And if you read the form uh, for uh, the Lord's Supper, it talks about God's covenant faithfulness. So about God's faithfulness to his people throughout the years in bringing our Savior to the world. But even we celebrate his faithfulness in our lives. Each of us have our own story about how God has been faithful to us. The communion is a celebration of that. And certainly a celebration of his sacrifice. We do that in terms of those who we have lost in the war. We have a memorial to them uh, that is erected, a cenotaph, we often call it, and uh, usually Remembrance Day, and it's kind of a day in honor 
of the sacrifice that those others have made on our behalf so that we can enjoy the freedom we presently have. So also with Jesus, that we celebrate in some sense his sacrament, or it's a memorial, and the form says that, of, and we honor him for his sacrifice. Really, you could go through the whole Apostles' Creed, and there's everything there. Well, there's more to it than that, but about things that we can honor and praise God for, and often the Apostles' Creed is used and confessed at the time of the Lord's Supper. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and buried. He descended into hell. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the, communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, much to honor our God for. So we do it because it's commanded. And then it's a really good and becomes a very blessed thing when we do it in honor to him. Third, for the assurance of our salvation, the sacraments were given, and that's baptism too, but I'm particularly focusing again on the Lord's Supper, that the intention of the Lord's Supper was to assure us again and again, and maybe that's why Calvin felt it had to be done every Sunday, because we need that assurance again and again. God is not kind of like that unpleasant situation where it's sometimes said, and it's a bad joke and it's, it's an unpleasant thing, but the wife complains to her husband, why don't you tell me that you love me? Well, I told you that in the day we got married, and I haven't changed my mind. Very unpleasant. But God's not like that. He does not only tell us once, and say it through the word, he tells us through the sacrament as well, again and again, because we need that God's love, and we need to hear it again, as we need to hear it in our relationships as well, too. Assurance. The catechism works, or the Lord's, uh, the, the Lord's, uh, the communion works as an assurance. Some years ago, when uh, I was in transition, kind of looking from one congregation to another, I'd been uh, nine years in uh, this particular congregation, and uh, I thought I shouldn't afflict them anymore. It was time to move on. And um, one job opportunity that came up was in Holland Homes, which is a retired home, a retirement home or a senior's home in uh, Brampton, Ontario, called Holland Homes. Uh, so I went there for an interview. Uh, I've dealt mainly with more elderly. I'm the youngest in the family, so my parents were elderly. I've dealt more with elderly people in my life than I have really with young people, and I thought maybe I could relate a little better there. So uh, I went there for the interview. An amazing thing about that one, too, is that there were men and women elders in the seniors' home doing the interview. This was shortly after the days that we had dealt with women in office. And here we were among the seniors, and there were women elders. That was an amazement to me, probably a very good thing. But it amazed me at the time. But 
these seniors didn't seem to have any problem with it. But then they asked me questions, and they said, well, why would you want to work with the elderly? And I said, well, I think the older people are kind of fun. I said, I, I would enjoy interacting with them, and, th and that's, I would find that a blessed thing. So what do you think they need? Well, I said, I think they need that kind of, and I should have thought of it more deeply, but I said, I think they need that kind of personal interaction and that kind of relationship. So I think that, oh, they said, you don't know elderly people. You don't know how many here in Holland homes are struggling with their salvation and the assurance of their salvation. And they need somebody to come with to them and talk to them about the assurance that they don't, they're afraid of what's going to happen when they die. This is kind of foreign to me because I, I really don't think in those terms, but I, I understand, and I, I'm really, I'm not that worried about dying in that sense about where I go in eternity. But I am concerned about what assurance means to my living. I need it every day to be assured that I am under God's grace, that I'm under his love. I need that to be in a healthy space in order to function. But I gather, too, that there's a struggle that sometimes that people are worried about their eternal salvation. Well, the sacrament's meant to help. Not only do you hear the words spoken, but the sacraments show you God's love. The sacraments take it a step farther. With the proclamation of the word, you hear it. The sacrament appeals to more senses than just hearing. It appeals to the touch, the smell, the taste, the seeing, not just the hearing. It involves all the senses. They say those who are teachers, and I don't do all that well that way necessarily in using all things, but if you want to teach a concept to young people or to children, what you do is involve the most senses possible. That you are not just the hearing, but that they can be in a, some kind of participation with this sort of thing so that they identify with it. We need this because we are kind of dense. And that is because of sin, too, that it's that way. That we are dense. And therefore, God goes the extra mile and more miles in order to not just tell us that he loves us, but to remind that again to all of our senses of his love and grace for us. So that's the me meaning of the Lord's Supper. It's an assurance. The word of God is spoken first, and then the assurance. Throughout Protestantism and the Reformation, and coming in our tradition of churches, there's always been the centrality of the word. And it actually speaks salvation to the people. The catechism, and it speaks it, the, ca or the, the, the sacraments, add an assurance to that. But there's always been in the Reformation churches a centrality of the gospel. And that shows up often in our architecture and our furniture too. Actually, where I'm standing is kind of unusual. In the Reformed faith, the pulpit has always been up in the center, in the center because that's the center message of what's to be happening. Therefore, the primacy of the word comes first. And then you have the assurance that follows it. 
in some of the old churches, especially in Europe, they had the pulpit away up high on the wall to show the primacy of the word, and the sacraments were always down a little lower to show that the primacy was there. In the Catholic Church, you may know that the Lord's table stands right in the center, and it's the one that's raised, and the pulpit is off to the side. The message given there just by the architecture is that the main event for the church is the sacrament itself. And that through the sacrament you are given salvation, not just assured of it, given it. But you're given the message of salvation by the Reformation through the word. And then through the Lord's table you get the assurance of it. There was nothing really that would get in the way of the word. Even instruments would be down on the floor in order to have the primacy of the word. We're a bit casual about that today, and I'm not big fussy on that. But you show, what you see here, is that things are not all that casual sometimes. That there's more to why things are set up the way they are. And the way they are set up does carry a message to it. But the meaning and then the purpose of the sacrament is for the assurance of salvation. And then lastly, it's to help us to experience the presence of God. The presence of God in the sacrament has been a matter of controversy over the years. And I think the Salvation Army was a little bit, the reason they go the way they do is often there's just been so much controversy surrounding the sacraments so that they have left them alone. But speaking about the sacraments is that it, you experience God's presence. According to the Roman Catholic Church, how do you experience God's presence? The body and blood, the bread and the wine are the actual body and blood of Jesus. And you experience his presence in the fact that you are actually eating his, his flesh and drinking his blood. And they're strong about that. They continue to hold towards that. About, so then God's presence is in actually the elements themselves. Lutheranism, as I've said before, because of their view of the ascension, kind of see the bread and the wine not as the body and blood of Jesus, but that the body and blood of Jesus is kind of all around and in and through. Their view of the ascension that when Jesus arose, not only did he go spiritually all over the place, he also went physically all over the place. And therefore, he's kind of presence in and around the sacrament. The more reformed ones, like Zwingli, said, and had a very strong uh, stance on this, said that, no, there's nothing about the presence in and around, and it's not it's itself. He says, look, the bread and the wine are just symbols. They symbolize what God has done, or what Jesus has done, in sacrificing his body and the pouring out of his blood. They're just mere symbols of memory, of uh, yeah, memorial, and, and that's it. Surprisingly, Calvin didn't take that stance. And a lot of people don't realize. They thought that Calvin was also a person who was just only into the symbol aspect of it. But Calvin always said there is a sense in a kind of mystical way as we take the sacrament that God and Jesus are present. It's not physical, but it's not just simple, not just symbol either. Jesus is really present there. He's really present there in a kind of a mystical sense. And maybe there we get our tradition. Sometimes it says at communion that it's always kind of a somber event 
and uh, it shouldn't be that way, but it may be rooted in this, that when you have the sense of the mystic, you kind of quiet and solemn and experience the presence of God as you go through the sacrament. So there we have it. God commanded it. It's for his honor. It assures us of our salvation. And there's a special way in which we experience his presence. That should be more than enough reason for celebrating it. And all God's people said, thank you to everyone who participated in the service and uh, led in the service and all of us together in praising our God. May God indeed be praised. Receive now the blessing of our God and go your way in peace. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon all the work and worship done in his name. May he give you light to guide you, courage to support you, and love to unite you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.